Let's open to Luke 8. Juan and Cage, y'all had to pay extra for those seats. I like that luxury seating back there. Not in the spit zone. You got comfort. It's nice. That's cheap, Scotty. You got to do better. We are in Luke chapter 8. We're up to verse number 22. Luke 8, 22. In the remainder of this chapter, I want us to focus on the theme of trusting in Jesus. We see examples here. I'm going to give you four headings, two today, two next Sunday, that we see in the remainder of this chapter on trusting in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus with disaster. Trusting in Jesus with demons with disease, and then with death. Disaster, demons, disease, and death. And that sounds kind of gloomy, but the positive there is we trust Jesus with these things. I like that final verse of that song. When I reach my final day, he will not leave me in the grave. I will rise, he will call me home, because the Lord is my salvation. Let's pray, and then we'll get right into the text this morning. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to gather with the church around your word. As we enter this time of the preaching and the reading of your word, we ask your blessing here. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord. I cannot, but you can, so use me to speak your word to your people this morning. May the church be edified. May the lost be convicted and drawn. May we grow by your word. Lord, we believe, we ask you this morning to help our unbelief and increase our faith. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's begin reading in verse number 22. And we're going to look at 22, 23, 24, and 25 and see that we can trust Jesus with disaster. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples And he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased, and there was calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, we want to begin this morning thinking about trusting Jesus with disaster, but I want to point something out to you, just a doctrinal position that we find that Luke is clear for us here, who he is writing about. We understand Jesus Christ is the Messiah, meaning he is the God-man. He is 100% God, 100% man. So all throughout the Gospels, we'll find his humanity and we'll also find his deity. And it's unique that we see that here for sure in these verses. In verse number 23, we see a clear sign of his humanity because as they sailed, he fell asleep. He was tired. So we understand that God does not sleep. He does not slumber. So for sure, this is a clue to us of the humanity of Jesus Christ. He became like as we are, yet without sin. 
he took on flesh. And then we see his divinity in verses 24 and 25. At the end of verse 25, 4, it says, He arose, he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased and there was calm. And then he said to them, Where is your faith? So not only was he 100% man in that he needed to sleep, but we also find that he was 100% God in that the wind and the water obeyed him. The elements obeyed what he said. And that's a sure sign of Christ's deity. Well, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat in a storm so rough that the boat is filling with water to the point of sinking. R.C. Sproul tells us that the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level and bounded by mountains, and cool air can sweep down and whip up sudden storms. And that's obviously what is happening here. But I do want to point out to you that these disciples, some of them were fishermen, had fished all of their lives. So they were professionals in these boats and in this situation. Still, we find that this storm drastically concerns them. For us, this communicates how abnormal the situation is that we read about here. Well, Jesus is calm. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the water. And peace comes upon this lake, this sea, which causes the disciples to begin to question the guy they're with. Who is this man? Now, they've seen his deity and the supernatural power that he holds already. He's healed blind. He's cast out demons. He's healed. He would go to places, and already we've read of him healing. It just says all of their sick. He healed all of their sick there. So we've seen Jesus as supernatural. But this sort of takes things up a notch for the disciples, I believe, as they begin to question, who is this man? That even the elements, nature, obeys his command. We also find Jesus asking his own question at the beginning of verse 25. He said to these, his followers, where is your faith? It's a hard one. And I think probably a great point for us as we consider these verses. Where is our faith? We need to learn to trust Jesus. Often we enter Christianity by faith, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we, we kind of have this faith to believe that God has imparted to us in salvation. For some, it grows into more faith. No doubt you have someone in your life that you say, boy, if things ever get bad, that's who I'm going to go and have them pray for me on. They, they've really got faith. They can pray. They're a prayer warrior. Or there may be even someone that you say, if I ever get sick, I believe they could lay hands on me and heal my sickness. I don't know where you are in your thinking about faith here this morning. But I think we should all be able to increase or have our faith increased. Are you just at saving faith? Have you stepped over into living faith? Are there any among us here this morning who've begun this time in your Christian walk that we see with Jesus and then his disciples and then the early church? I'll call it supernatural faith. One of my favorite preachers as a boy growing up, and it was probably because my father was at the time involved in tent ministry. So we were tent evangelists, just like you would think from the movies, minus the snakes and the charlatanism. Dad would appreciate me clarifying that. But I remember reading a book about another preacher who was preaching in a tent one night and horrendous rain was coming down. I've got to throw in another story about my dad there. 
we had an old army tent that we used that dad got for free. You know, because it's free, it's got to be great, right? I remember spending so much, I was 12 years old, I remember spending so much money on this old tent patching it up, that even at 12 I was thinking to myself, I wonder how much a new one would cost. My, my mind was not really wanting new other than going to, would it be more financially sound to just replace this thing? But we would duct tape the holes and do all that we could to kind of make this thing work for church gatherings. But I remember one night dad was preaching and everybody under the tent, and dad was the type, he wasn't going to pre- quit preaching for nothing. He just, that's the way it was. Train would come by and he would try to out-preach the train. Babies would cry and he would out-preach the babies. And if you've heard my dad, he likes to, he's a yell, he yells, so... But we, he's preaching that night, and it's raining, and people put their umbrellas up. Inside the, the gathering of the church there, they're sitting with their umbrellas up, listening to my father speak. The preacher I read about, though, in that regard, he was, it was so thunderous of a rain that it was, even the, the microphones, the amplification would not carry his voice and project it over the, the, the sound of the storm outside. And the story goes that he steps outside the tent, and says, Lord, I'm trying to preach in here. Would you stop the rain? And the rain stopped. He went in and preached his sermon. And when he said amen at the end of the sermon there, the rain started back up again. That's a pretty common uh, Baptist story in the South. How many of you have heard that story before? Just a couple of us there. And those of you who raise your hand can probably name the name, but we'll leave the name out. Something else for you to go home and Google when you get home. Have we got to that level of faith? I think many of us would not even take those steps this preacher did. And I'm not saying you've got to be able to command the rain to be right with God. Don't don't misunderstand me here. But I think the church highly underestimates, underutilizes faith in God, the power of God. Because of Jesus' power here in this story, there's no need for them to fear He asks them there, where's your faith? Because they're afraid, he says, where's your faith? The the teaching from this story is that Jesus' power is greater than our needs. Do we truly believe that and live it out? I think we often think Jesus is a comfort for us in the time of our needs. Something on my brain right now, and I'll, I'll clue you in on it. We've been thinking about the feminization of the church. This is a fun topic for a Sunday morning crowd. We've even got guests here this morning. <laughs> but but the, the idea being that we've kind of let the feminist, not feminist. Boy, I'm really stepping in it here. Happy Valentine's Day tomorrow, ladies. <laughs> we've allowed the female perspective to make the church not feel comfortable for men. Man, you're supposed to grunt right there. Yeah, that's better. And just a conversation we're having, I I haven't... I've heard heard crazy stories that I kind of like. Like one church took their whole facility and converted it into like a lodge. And said the number of men in attendance picked up. I don't know if they had shotguns or what was going on there, but... But I was having this story with the missionary from ABWE and Stephen and Liz. We were talking about this. He's from South Africa, and we were talking about this Thursday after their doctrinal interview. And uh, so I turned around to Liz during the sermon, and I said, we got pink and purple on the screen this morning. It's girly. No offense, Katie. Thank you. It looks very beautiful. It puts me in mind of cotton candy. So I didn't think of it as girly. It was more carnival-y for me. 
anybody remember why I'm talking about this? <laughs> Jesus' power is greater than our needs. But if we're not careful, we've sort of embraced this, um, you know, Barney? I love you. You love me. We're a... He's fluffy and purple. He has a permanent smile on. He can only do like this. For some reason, that wasn't creepy to people. This is our Jesus. He'll hug you if you need a hug. He'll tell you He loves you. You could come cry on His shoulder and bring your problems to Him. And this is all good. Thank the Lord, right? I need this someday. I'm a mama's boy. I'm just going to admit it. Just put that out there. You already knew that, I know. But, but there were days I wanted to hang out with Dad. Dad did manly things. Dad did strong things. Dad did powerful things. Dad would get me around other men, and I would see how those men acted. Even as a little boy, I like to act like those men. You know how, you ever watch a little boy around some old men? Kind of, they'll, they'll be working or looking over their work, and the little boy, even he'll kind of put this stand on here. <laughs> Got it figured out, right? The men have a tractor supply hat on, so the little boy needs a tractor supply hat on there. My point being to the church this morning is, are we trusting Jesus' power? I had no doubt you trust His comfort and you trust His love and you trust His goodness. But here we see His power. His disciples are distraught. This boat is sinking. And He stands up and He says, well, He doesn't say it in Luke's account here. It just says He rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. But I believe in Mark's account He says, Peace, be still. Commands the wind to stop blowing. He commands the waters to stop raging. And things got calm instantly. For us, it wouldn't happen like that. In the modern world, the church is happy with not the storm ceasing, but us just kind of rocking our way through the storm till we get to the other side and we get off and we tell everybody how good God was because He got us across the lake in the middle of that storm. What's more powerful? That... Are getting out and people say, were you all out there in the middle of that storm? Yes. Did it just stop all of a sudden? Yeah, that was kind of weird, wasn't it? It was, but you wouldn't believe the rest of this story. This guy named Jesus was out there on this boat and he told it to stop and it stopped right then. Nah, that didn't really happen. It did. That witness of the church is missing. Jesus' power is greater than our need. This was the psalmist's position. Psalm 18, he writes... He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Do you believe God delights in you? I promise you he does. You are not your own. You're bought with a great price. He gave himself for you. You don't give yourself for something you don't delight in. I love every one of you ladies in here this morning. And my dad taught me that all females are beautiful. So I think you're all beautiful. But I'll just be honest. I wouldn't go and fight for most of you. But Shanae, just like that. I would fight to the death. I'd probably die and I'd probably die soon. Sorry, dear. I like to read books. I don't tote guns. I'm not a very good fighter. But I would mean well, right? I've got to do some push-ups. Jesus died for you. He delights in you. 
Surely here we see these disciples had no need for anxiety. They had need for trust in Him only. What have we just studied as we've gone through? We read chapter 5 this morning. We've been studying 6, 7, and 8. The Sermon on the Mount. The teaching of these parables has begun about the kingdom. They've gone through this great time of mighty teaching. This is God's word being given to them by Jesus himself. No better preacher to give them God's word. Well, it illustrates for us how easy it is to be hearers of the word and not doers. And how it is important for us to trust Jesus, not only to be hearers of the word, but to be doers also. I'm going to quote to you from Warren Wiersbe. He writes, Satan does not care how much Bible truth we learn, so long as we do not live it. Truth that is only in the head is purely academic and will never get into the heart until it is practiced by the will. Satan knows that academic truth is not dangerous but active truth is. Proof, proof positive here. When's the last thing, time you heard of something powerful happening at a seminary? And don't get me wrong, I, I'm a seminary guy. Been to Bible college. I'm in a seminary class right now. But that's academic truth. It's important. We need to have our facts straight. We need to understand doctrine. But it can't stop there. James says, be you... Doers of the word and not hearers only. In our day, we've been granted the authority to the power that we see Jesus using here. Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is to come upon you. and you should be, This is the ascension of Christ. This is the command to those who are ready to go. The, the command is go and wait. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to receive power. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 2 Corinthians 12.9 He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 2 Peter 1.3 According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. But the church, who's been given access and authority with this power, sort of quivers as if it were powerless. What are we going to do if? We are the church triumphant. Brother Ken Avery, our prison pastor in the West Tennessee State Prison, leads a church there. This church, we sponsor that church. A bunch of lifers. I didn't know what a lifer was, but I know a little prison jargon now. These are guys never getting out. No chance of it. They're there. God has called Ken Avery to go there, and the ones that get saved, he disciples them, and they, they have church right there. In, they have a gathering of church right there in that prison. We get hit with a tornado. He calls me up. Everybody was calling. You know, they wanted to give their condolences. But only Ken Avery said to me an encouraging word. I appreciated everybody else. And boy, this, I hate the live stream. You get things out of context and misunderstand what I say. I'm just, I'm going to offend people all over the Southeast who called me to tell me how sorry they were. I'm thankful. Where's the camera? I love you. Thank you for calling me and saying this. But this was the most encouraging thing. He didn't ask how we were doing. He didn't ask what we were going to do. He didn't ask how bad it was. He said, son. I said, hey, Brother Ken, you all right? Yes, sir. 
you remember the church is triumphant? I said, yes, sir. They said, march on. Amen, brother. That's exactly right. And here we are. The truth is marching on. And if they, they might kick us out of the bib center before this thing's all said and done. If they do, we'll, we'll go out to the streets. We'll go somewhere. I know how to put up a tent. I'll try to get one without holes in the roof. We operate as if we're powerless. A lady said to D.L. Moody, she said, I have found a wonderful promise. And she quoted him Psalm 56.3, which is a wonderful promise. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Moody said to the lady, let me give you a better one. And he quoted Isaiah 12.12, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Amen. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Power. Might. Cell mind. I think Abraham is a good Bible example for this, for us of this in the text. Hold your place in Luke and go to Genesis 12. I want to show you some verses from Abraham. He is commanded by God to leave his home and sojourn. Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3 is the account of that. The Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Boy, that's a, there, there's a great promise coming there. But human nature does not like this type of command. Here's what human nature would like to hear from God. Leave your country and I'm going to send you to another country by name of this. And here's how you get here. And here's what's there. And this is what's going to happen when you arrive. You know how I know that about human nature? Well, because I deal with a lot of humans. And you need the deets. Trying to be hip and cool for the millennials in here. I found out I was a millennial, so now I just had a birthday and I found out I was a millennial. So deets is details. But by calling it deets, it saves time and energy. See, I had to spend five minutes there explaining to you what it meant. But you have to leave on that one, Steve. Jeez, I'm sorry. I didn't want to offend you. We like all of these details, but God doesn't, he gives him some details, but he doesn't really say exact here. He just says, leave your country, leave your kin, go from your father's house, and go where I'm going to show you. Now here's the blessing, the promise, and I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So there is something to this, there are some details, you're going to be blessed greatly if you'll do this. And I will bless those that bless you. I will curse them that curses you. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So this is a, it's a good admonition to follow. Hey, go and I'll show you. And along the way I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless everybody else because of you. Well, he takes that step of faith and we herald him as a step of faith. In fact, the one thing that's recorded about Abraham for sure, Old and New Testament, is it is attributed unto him that he believed God. This is a man who believed God. But I want to point out to you here, in defense of these disciples in the boat, who had left all to follow Jesus, had they not? But even in this time of this storm, Jesus says to him, where is your faith? Well, even Abraham didn't master faith. He didn't master trust initially. Flip over to chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, in verses 10 through 20, he operates in doubt. And you're probably familiar with his story. In fact, what we're going to read happens twice, at least in Abraham's life, here in Egypt with Pharaoh, and then later with a man named Abimelech. Chapter 12, verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, and the famine was grievous in the land. Now, let me make a quick point there. Is this where God had sent him? 
It is not. God had said, I'll show you where to go, but he didn't tell him to go to Egypt. Abraham chose to go to Egypt because there was food for him there, and this is not where he was supposed to be. When we miss one step, it can often lead us getting two or three other steps done poorly. Right? There's a good principle there from Scripture. That's not the point we want to make from these verses. Verse 11, it came to pass when he was come near into Egypt that he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Men, if you're needing Bible instruction to romance your wife tomorrow, it's Valentine's Day to tell her how beautiful she is. Here's a verse. Abraham said to Sarah, I know thou art a fair woman to look upon. He got just a little bit sappy and said, You are so pretty. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister. Now that's not a lie. She actually was a sister to him in a removed kind of a way, but it wasn't the whole truth, so it became a lie. That it may be well with me for thy sake, and thy soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants, maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to... To me, to wife. Now, therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Abraham did not trust God. He trusted in his own wisdom. We're bad to do that, aren't we? I know what to do here. Sarah, they're going to kill you, or they'll kill me for you. So tell them you're my sister. Well, what good did that do? They'll take her to be wife so he can stay alive? Like, Somebody's still getting a raw deal there. And in the end, this guy named Pharaoh, who should have had no respect of Abram's God, says because of Abram's God, don't, we're not messing with you. You can go in peace. This happens again in Genesis chapter 20. But then in Genesis chapter 22, we find Abraham operating with great faith. God tells him to take his son up on the mountain. And sacrifice him to him, his only son, his firstborn son. And I understand the symbolism that is there pushing us towards the New Testament. But I just want to make this point to you. He initially had faith. He trusted God and left his, his, his country and his people. He had lack of faith in other instances. But then we find again him having great faith. So I encourage you as the church. If you're scorned for your lack of faith here this morning. Don't stay there. Exercise your faith. Have faith. Trust God. Trust Jesus. I want to point out Genesis 24. Genesis 24, verse 4. I just want to read this to you. This is the account of Abraham sending his servant to go get Isaac's wife. Man, if you and I would operate with the kind of faith we see Abraham operating with here, things would be different. Listen as we read or read along if you're in your Bibles there. Genesis 24, 4. But thou shalt go into thy country, this is Abram speaking to his servant, into my country, into my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again into the land from whence thou camest? That's a great question. 
This is a smart guy. Here's his boss saying, go back to where I came from and you, a man, by yourself, maybe not completely by yourself, but he doesn't have Abraham with him. He doesn't have the kin with him. He says, don't bring Isaac. And you convince this girl to come back and, and marry him. Sight unseen. Isn't that how you like to buy cars? This is, this is unique. So I like the guy's question here. What if she won't come? It's a great question. Abraham said, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. So whatever you do, we're not going back there. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Under thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Where did Abraham get that confidence? He says, just go. God's going to send his angel ahead of you, and he'll make sure these things go right, and you'll come back with the girl he's supposed to marry. It's a big task for that servant. I would have been a nervous wreck. But it's big faith by Abraham to even send his servant in that way. Do you believe that Abraham had begun to believe God delighted in him? Seems like he did at this point. It seems like he felt like God and I are on the same page. The Lord is on my side, or I am on the Lord's side. This is his will. This is what he wants to be done. We're going to go and do it, presuming that his power goes ahead of us, and he will work these things out for us. We don't operate like that. We shrivel around like Satan's minions do, as if we don't have any power, and hope things get, go lucky for us or go well for us, and then if they do, we'll testify on Wednesday night that, well, we finally had a good week. I know I've been praying for 48 years about how bad this life is, but something really good happened this week. My oranges didn't spoil. Praise Jesus. Sorry, I offended all the ladies again. Praise Jesus. Make it a man saying that testimony. It's pretty good, Ruth. So we find this recorded of Abraham. Genesis 15, 6. He believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. You can go back to Luke 8. Romans 4, 3. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Trust Jesus. In this instance, in Luke 8, it's trust Jesus with disaster. Very fitting for us where we are now. Some of you recently went through a flood west of us. Some of you went through a tornado right, right close by here. Even if you didn't personally get affected by either of those things, you know people who did and it's part of your life right now. Are we trusting Him with that disaster? But I think, given what we're dealing with in the whole story of Luke here, the application could be more than that. Trust Him in all things. I think we should ask this morning, do I trust Him or am I implementing my own safety measures? Abraham did this. Tell them you're my sister so they won't kill me. The disciples did this. They said, Master, we perish. I know I would have not done any better in their scenario. I'm not trying to put myself in those shoes and say that I would have done it differently. But we are given the story to be able to think about it differently. You've just seen this guy do these miracles and he's resting peacefully. Do you really think he's going to let you die? And if he is going to let you die, I truly believe he's God-man. That must be God's will. I don't know exactly what the disciples did or didn't do here to cause it, but we for sure see Jesus questioning their faith. 
And he questions their faith, even though they finally did come to him. They did what we're supposed to do. They went to Jesus for help. I think my conclusion would be that they trusted their own ability initially. Or maybe they overreacted from Jesus' point of view, given that he was in the boat with them. Either way, he questions their faith. What about you? Are you weak in faith? Can you operate like Abraham? With complete assurance that God will send his angels ahead of you and establish his purposes in your life? Can you sit in a sinking boat in a storm without losing your mind, determined that Jesus would never let this boat sink? Or that if it sinks, at least I'm with Jesus? We move now over to the story of demons. Let's read from verse 26. Then they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And he went forth to land. And there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils a long time, and wore no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice, said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? Thou Son of God, Most High. I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands, and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go down into the deep. Go out into the deep. And there was a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. And when they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man, out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also which saw it told them by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house, and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. So here's a man possessed with many demons. So much so that his life was altered due to this. He did not wear clothing. He didn't live in society. He lived out in the tombs. They would try to bind him down to kind of, I guess, prevent the convulsions or maybe just prevent his actions at times. They couldn't keep him chained. The demons that possessed him asked to be called legion because they are many. In fact, in their day, a Roman legion, a group of soldiers, could have been as many as 6,000 soldiers. I don't know how many demons are in this guy, but it's not one and it's no small amount. Thankfully, once we see Jesus free him, instead of being driven by these demons in verse 29, we find him in verse 35 sitting and peaceful. Instead of being without his clothes in verse 27, we find him in verse 35 dressed. 
Instead of being among the tombs in verse 27, we find Him at Jesus' feet in verse 35. Instead of being chained hand and foot and kept under guard, as we read about in verse 29, we see He's in His right mind in verse number 35. Now again, let's be clear who Jesus is, and then pair that with the knowledge that demons have of Jesus. So already we've seen from Luke's point of view, Jesus went to sleep in the boat, so He was a man. But he had power over the storm, so he was God. Well, these demons knew Jesus. Notice verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? Knew Jesus, knew who he was. Knew that he could torment him. He said, I beseech thee, torment me not. These demons said, already heard Jesus' demand to leave the possessed man, it reads at this point, because verse 29 gives us that parenthetical statement, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. So they were subject to Jesus. We see that in him saying, tell me your name, and they told him their name or what to call him. We also see that they made a request of Jesus. So he for sure has the authority. Verse 31, they says, send us anywhere but into the deep. This would be the abyss The underworld, the place of the dead. It was especially a place where demons and evil spirits were kept in prison. MacDonald writes and reminds us here, demon possession is real. These demons were not mere influences. They were supernatural beings who indwelt the man, controlling his thoughts, speech, and behavior. These particular demons caused the man to be extremely violent. So much so that when... He had one of these violent convulsions. He broke the chains that were intended to restrain him and ran off into the wilderness. I think what is most unique for me as we read this story is verse 37. His community doesn't celebrate Jesus for freeing him. Once this man is put right, his community asks Jesus to leave. Then the whole community of the country of Gadarenes Round about, besought him to depart from them, for they were taken with great fear. And he went into the ship and returned back again. What are they afraid of? Are they afraid of Jesus' power? Are they afraid of the economic impact his ministry could have in their town? Whatever their fears, we get a clue here to the impact of demonic activity in society. These people were more comfortable with this guy out in the tombs, a guy that they had to keep the women and children for looking at, that they often had to chain down. They're more comfortable with that guy in that state than they are with him healed and freed by Jesus, sitting at Jesus' feet clothed in his right mind. They're more comfortable with him as many than as one. They're more comfortable with him loud than they are with him quiet. Sadly, our society has fully embraced this type of living. We, we rarely have quiet. In fact, we can't really stand quiet in our society. There's always got to be noise. What do you think Satan is trying to block out with all of his noise? Could it be the still small voice of God's Holy Spirit? Our society is all into this many instead of just being one. 
Young people are being indoctrinated. They're having their brains wash to think, well, I could be this, that, or the other. However I want to identify, and if that needs to change, I'll let it change. And if something about me needs to change, then we'll let something about me change. This is because of demonic activity in our culture. What else would we think it is? And as a society, we've embraced it. We've diagnosed it. We begin to cultivate relationships with it. This society, sadly, was way more comfortable with that than they were Jesus' ministry actually helping this guy. Our society is that much, if not worse. Instead of trying to get the demons out of someone, we've become a society that wants to learn about and cultivate knowledge of these things so we can be around it. We've stopped getting rid of sin and embracing holiness, and we've started diagnosing everything so that it can be normalized. Sin is sin no matter what diagnosis we give it. I'm speaking in generalizations, and I know on days like this at the back door or through text later, i got to hear from you guys about this one particular instance where that just wasn't the case because little Johnny. I got it. i got four of those little Johnnies in my house. Sometimes I just want to say, sin is sin. He beat the kid good, and it fixes it. Typically that works. I get that there are some extremes to what we're talking about here. But as a general rule, we we are not much different than this society here. It saddened me to read verse 37. Why would they ask Jesus to leave? Why would they be afraid of something so peaceful happening? It's odd. But I thought of our culture. Church, I would say to us this morning, we cannot embrace this kind of thinking, no matter what our society does. We must seek holiness And we must abhor sin. We must never... I'll say something else. We must love with truth. And never avoid truth in the name of love. But this goes back to that first... The storm and the boat. We don't really trust God. We don't operate as if we think God could fix these problems. We're, we're the quivering church. The world is screaming for answers and Christians are stuttering. Are sticking our heads in the sand. We need to expect supernatural intervention. No matter the cost. Well, for this society here, this group of people in this, this town or this place called the Gatherings... It costs them an entire herd of pigs. I like to eat pig. Pigs are very useful. I don't imagine they had McDonald's or KFC drive throughs This was a big deal. It was a great economic toll. Some people might have had to go hungry for a bit because of this. So probably some community leaders were thinking, we can't sustain much more of this. But I I read it and I say, yeah, but look at the guy. Jesus just saved his life. Supernaturally changed him completely. Are we to the point as God's people that we're saying, I don't know that there's, there's probably a limit on how much we could actually afford to give for these types of things to be happening. 
That's kind of our thinking. <coughs> McDonald notes of these people. He says they became so upset that they asked Jesus to depart. They thought more of their swine than of the Savior. They thought more of their sows than of their souls. I thought that was a cute way to put it. Darby writes, the, the world beseeches Jesus to depart, desiring their own ease, which is more disturbed by the presence and power of God than by a legion of devils. He goes away. The man who was healed would, be fain, would fain be with him, but the Lord sends him back to be a witness of the grace and power of which he had been the subject. Well, you and I evermore live in this type of a society. The effects of demonic activity, influence, and possession are obvious, real, and many. But we in the church struggle for identity within the realm of Holy Spirit activity and God's supernatural power working around us and within us. It's not like we're saying the world is powered by the spirit of Satan and we are the church powered by the spirit of God. We're over here with the spirit of God trying to figure out how all the buttons work. Hey, turn this thing on. I'm going to offend some of you here in a lighthearted kind of a way. And I don't mean this is like a brag. I'm no like technological genius by any means. But something I never could stand as a kid growing up. I didn't like school at all. Let me just clarify there. But I got so excited at school when they bring the TV card into the room. Yeah. I have school. I get TV. But you know where I'm going with this. Some of you do. Because it drove you nuts too. Doggone teachers. Thank you, ladies that are teachers. We appreciate it. Some of you men too. They never knew what buttons to push. Let, let me do it. I'm a kid. I like Tom and Jerry. And He-Man. I could get this movie to play. They would pull on the wires. Where's this red one go? Well, it's red. Guess what color the plug is? Red. Now, at eight years old, am I offending you, Miss Wiggins? <laughs> Can I get a witness, though? Has this happened to you as well in class? Yes, absolutely. Church, <laughs> I'm glad we're laughing because sometimes the hard, hard stuff is easiest when we can laugh at ourselves. This is us with the Holy Spirit. Where does this red one go? Is it going this way or we need to flip it over? How do we make it work? I, I think Scripture is pretty clear. Walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Pray and be praying in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come and give you power to do these things. We're right there. I don't really need a manual at that point. We're giving one. We're given one, and I appreciate it. But right there is enough information. If you're the church and you know what you're told to do, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples out of all the nations. The Holy Spirit's going to be the power for this. Think about power. Get your mind wrapped around power. We could do this without power this morning, but there'd be no lights on, so it'd be a little darker, but we have the sun, but that's power too. We could do this without the screen. There'd be no power. We wouldn't have the amplification of my voice. But you turn off power to this place, and things would be just a little bit different than they are now, so we would probably all agree, especially on a cold morning, that the heat that is powered by electricity is nice. We live in 2022, which I grew up watching the Jetsons, and we were supposed to be in flying cars by now. 
We live in 2022. But church, we operate with the Holy Spirit as if we're in like 22. You, have y'all seen this thing? Um, it's like a little funny picture where it says what people thought the future was going to look like. And there's all these like handsomely dressed people, suits and ties on an airplane. And they're being served steak dinners as they fly from Atlanta to Orlando for their vacation. And then it shows what we actually look like. Have you been on a plane lately? It's like night people from Walmart have invaded the plane. I think this is us. We're verse 37. I don't know that we want to be powerless. But we sure do fear being called charismatic. And hey, let's take that side of it. If I were preaching this to a charismatic church here this morning, I would have to be scorning them for saying, some of you just don't know your Bibles. You love the Holy Spirit, but you don't know about Him. You don't understand Him. We're on the other side of that. But God will be worshipped in spirit and in truth. I fear if... He were here today and we were in this situation, we might just ask Jesus to leave. Especially if we were to experience His power working in our midst like we see here. Are you trusting Jesus with demons? Are you willing to let the Holy Spirit guide you in removing channels of oppression or influence from your life? I don't know what that might be for you in your life. Maybe we could pick on some things. What's a channel for demonic influence, an activity, oppression in your life? Maybe it's technology. Maybe it's people. That's for sure a biblical thing. Maybe it's ideologies. Where are you getting your philosophies from? I'll be honest. If you watch the news every single day, you're getting some world philosophy, some of your worldviews from the news. Right? That makes sense. I only watch Georgia Bulldog football. Guess what team I like? I don't like Alabama Crimson Tide. Scotty only watches Crimson Tide. He doesn't like the Bulldogs. We are what we eat. What what are these influences in your life? And the sermon, don't take home as the, the thought for today from the sermon is we should probably stop watching the news. I don't watch the news. I would encourage you that outside of this sermon... But go watch the news. I need some of you to tell me when I'm going to, you know, when this thing, when the bomb's going to go off. Because I'm not paying attention. But what are these channels of influence, demonic influence in your life? Where are you getting your worldviews? Where are your philosophies coming from? Where are these ideologies coming from? Then we've got to decide are we willing to lose some of those things? For our own freedom, but also for the freedom of those possessed. I've had this conversation with many of you. I'm just at a loss at what to do about such and such, or so and so. Obviously, it's usually about a person. I wonder, are you willing to cut some people out of your life that would lead to the freedom of this one? We're dealing with that in Corinthians right now, aren't we, on Wednesday nights? Paul said, you've been called to be saints, but you're acting like the world. How are we acting like to be the world? Well, I'll give you one example, he says. You're putting man's wisdom ahead of God's wisdom, 
and saying, oh, well, I know better than you because I was baptized by Apollos. Oh, that's nothing. I was baptized by Paul. And they're beginning this contest of man's wit and who was the greatest used of God. They meant well, but it was splitting that church because they were acting like the world. And for more on that, we'll see you Wednesday night at 6. <laughs> Are you willing to let some people out of your life? Some divisive people out of your life? Are you willing to let some toxic influences stop getting to your eyes and your ears? Church, we are called and we are empowered. We must trust and do. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this morning, we're not really trusting if all we are doing is hearing and affirming. If we're doing nothing with that. Well, in Corinthians, he goes on to say, if I can do all of these great things and have not love, I am a clanging gong. I am nothing. Does he mean like, I put aside the power of the Holy Spirit and I'm just a Barney Jesus to the world? No, that's not what he means. He means if the love of Christ is not shining from me to others in a life-changing kind of a way, then these supernatural things the Holy Spirit empowers me to be able to do, access, have authority of, are just a clanging gong. Jesus' atonement sets free the captive, no matter their bondage. The church's ministry influences society's awareness and allowance. We see Jesus in verse 39. He sends this man back to minister. He frees him. We find this man where he needs to be with the Lord. He wants to go with Jesus, which I would too. But Jesus says, no, you've got work to do here. You can, you can use some cross-texting here. Cross-texting. Cross-referencing here. And you could find probably a return back to this same place. And there's a group of people who can't wait to meet Jesus. That, you could argue that point with me, but it sure is a nice end to this sermon. I think the guy went and did his work. And so must we, the church. Let's stand and pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us in this time to search our hearts to deal seriously with you about our own level of trust. Are, are you scorning us this morning for our lack of faith in the midst of a disaster? Or, or do we sit through such things in life and say, I know that God will bring peace? Could we, like Abraham, trust you well enough to say to someone, you know, I believe the angel of the Lord will go before you and make this thing work out. Are we afraid to say such things? Or we are evermore a society who values our own comfort, our own pleasures, our own leisure time, above you miraculously changing someone else's life. I worry that like these people here where the demoniac was healed, would, would we say, oh, we, this guy's really messing up things. Lord, give us a mind for ministry. You've called us to minister. You've empowered us with your Holy Spirit. But we've allowed the circumstances of life to rob us of this duty that you've given us.
Help us in this time to... I think probably some of us today need to actually step out on faith. We need to make a commitment in this moment to do something by faith. Saying, I trust Jesus. We see trusting Jesus with demons. We see trusting Jesus with disaster. We're going to see disease and even death. What is it that that we this morning need to step out and say, we trust Jesus in, in this regard? May we respond to your word in a meaningful way in this time. Amen. Let's remain bowed. Ms. Williams is going to play, and I encourage you to do business with God.